when we think about our mission, it's we started from there's a lot of problems, obviously, right now. Oh, yeah. In the world. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so we started from the generation that is capable of solving the world's biggest problems. What is that generation going to look like? What kind of experiences are they going to need to have had? What kind of things are they going to need to be aware of? Um, what skills are they going to need? So we kind of when designing the prisma curriculum start worked backwards from that what are these big problems and then how do we create the generation that can tackle them welcome welcome so this is the first part of our two-part series with prisma a full innovative online replacement to school for kids aged 8 to 14. Also, a side note, this is quite different to Primer, which was episode 49 with Ryan Delk. And they consider themselves not as a school, but more so a creative learning space. So anyway, today we're first chatting with head of curriculum, Emily Vino, unpacking the structure behind Prisma. And then in part two, we're looking at the bigger picture with Victoria Ransom, who is the CEO and founder of Prisma. Prisma, in my opinion, is completely, just completely demolishing traditional school constructs and is honestly the change we need to see if kids are going to succeed now and in the future. They have personalized curriculums, they have mentoring, they have no grades, they do mastery-based learning, they teach ethical decision-making and critical thinking. Oh my God, I could go on. They're just doing so many things right. So let's just jump into it. There's a lot of amazing companies out there, especially right now, who are designing really fantastic virtual experiences, are creating really amazing resources for kids to learn from anywhere, whether it's really awesome projects or games, simulations, whether it's really interesting um, adaptive learning platforms, just cool resources right now in education, I feel like they're a dime a dozen and there's just so much out there that almost to me a more interesting problem that we're really interested in at prisma is okay if i'm a parent or if i'm a learner and i'm really engaged in my education how do i navigate all of these different resources out there to create a full experience and i think when we talk to homeschoolers whether they've been homeschooling for a long time or whether they um, are just now stepping out of the pathway of the traditional system, they're often not saying, wow, you know, I really wanna do a project, but there's not good projects out there for me on the internet. Instead, they're saying, okay, we do a lot of really cool stuff, but we don't know if it's all piecing together to prepare my child for the future. We don't know if they're on track compared to the rest of their kid, to the rest of kids in the US in their grade level, not just in math, but also in their critical thinking skills and their collaboration skills. So the challenge that we're undergoing at Prisma, although we do create a lot of cool projects, we create a lot of cool learning experiences through our workshops, we create um, a lot of interesting uh, resource libraries, but we're less interested in 
what is the best, you know, way to learn math as we are, okay, what is all of the things that kids need to learn to prepare them for the future? And how should those things be structured? How should those things be pieced together? We're more interested in building out the map than we are developing any one project or any one learning experience. It's more about how all of those things fit together. So that's what we mean when we say holistic is a lot of parents who are really engaged in the learning experience for their kids and really engaged in that process feel a little bit uncertain or unsure about how to put all of those things together. And that is one thing that the traditional school system, although it doesn't always do very well, it's something that they're definitely attempting to do. If you send your kid to a public school, that school is promising you, okay, we're going to cover everything. And whether or not they actually live up to that, that is something that some families are looking for, even when they step out of the traditional system is how do we cover it all? Mm, yeah. And, and in terms of the vision, because there must be a particular why that motivates you. And so what, what is that? Yeah, absolutely. So when we think about our mission, it's we started from there's a lot of problems, obviously, right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so we started from the generation that is capable of solving the world's biggest problems. What is that generation going to look like? What kind of experiences are they going to need to have had? What kind of things are they going to need to be aware of? Um, what skills are they going to need? So we kind of when designing the PRISMA curriculum, start work backwards from that. What are these big problems? And then how do we create the generation that can tackle them? I love that backwards, that backwards idea, because of course, <laughs> if we want to see the final result, then we need to work backwards and see how we can actually create that in the first place. Mm -hmm. And I have for sure from the people that I've interviewed, there seems to be a trend behind creativity, behind innovation, behind tacking, tackling, you know, big societal problems like climate change. So that's our final goal, I guess, to create students or to help students develop those skills to tackle big issues. With that in mind, let's scale back down to the actual curriculum behind Prisma because there must be a very well thought out curriculum, you know, to be able to sustain that. And if we're going to look first large scale, uh, I was looking through the website and there seems to be five theme-based learning cycles. What are they? Because I don't think it really specifies on the website itself what they are. Yeah. So, um, and forgive me if at some points during this interview, I might say some things that contradict the website a little bit because we're always... Uh, iterating on it so oh, up to date you know, knowledge say, is better let me know if i say anything <laughs> that is confusing in that oh, respect good. but mm -hmm. um yeah so themes are a really exciting part of the curriculum that is really fun for me and fun for the kids and we develop uh we actually have six themes that we do per year um and we develop them based on kid interest in large part where we will do surveys with the kids about things that they're interested in. We'll get suggestions from them. And uh, we would never run a theme unless uh, 90 or 95% of kids were really excited about it. So that's one thing that goes into developing themes. 
Um, but the purpose of themes is really because and we'll get into this, I'm sure, throughout the conversation. But one thing that's really uh, important to us at Prisma is that kids have a lot of choice over what they learn. Um, and that's for a few different reasons. Obviously, you're going to enjoy learning more if you have a stake in it and you're able to follow your interests. But also thinking about uh, future-ready skills. Uh, we find that a lot of kids um, who have been through the traditional school system have a lot of anxiety about making choices in their lives and making decisions um, because they're used to uh, having choices made for them. So we really want from a very young age, Prisma kids to get used to uh, making the right choices that align with their goals and um, starting from, okay, what do I really want to learn? What do I really want to achieve? And getting used to uh, choosing and making great decisions. Um, so when we were designing the curriculum based around choice, one of the tensions that comes with that is if everyone is learning a different thing, it's really hard then to have live workshops that go deep into a specific topic and have those uh, opportunities to collaborate, have really interesting debates. And so we didn't want to move away from having choice of projects um, because that was working really well, but we were finding that okay, one kid is doing a chemistry of baking project while another kid is writing a short story. And so what do we do in our workshops? And so the idea of themes came from, okay, let's have one broad topic that we're all exploring for six or so weeks. And we're all doing different projects within that theme. But when we come together for a debate, when we come together for a team challenge, everyone is kind of interested in the same kind of big three essential questions, um, exploring some of the different themes, I guess. So that's kind of where the idea came from. And then the other part of that is when we're looking at our outcomes, we have a map of different skills that we're trying to grow at Prisma. Um, we're able to kind of pre-plan for the year, okay, we're going to cover these six themes and each theme has uh, a problem-solving focus. So problem-solving is one of the biggest skills we're hoping to develop at Prisma. So each theme has a focus of a different type of problem-solving skills, whether it's science, whether it's technology, whether it's math, whether it's mental models. So each theme has a problem-solving focus. Each theme also has an ethical decision-making focus. That's another skill that we're interested in developing. Um, and so ethical decision-making at Prisma, we believe to make great ethical decisions, you need a really strong grounding in the humanities and understanding of how to do nonfiction text analysis, how to analyze a piece of literature, um, a really great grounding in history and historical reasoning, and then the kind of ethical and philosophical reasoning. So each theme has an ethical decision-making focus. And uh, so we have different broad topics of humanity that we're exploring throughout the year um, that map onto our different themes from conflict to how humans handle natural resources to the ethics of technology. Um, and a lot of those topics we're looking at not just the past and history, but also kind of the, the futurology of those topics. So, um, for example, our first theme for this upcoming school year is called Uncharted Territory. So the big questions of that are, uh, what does it mean to explore 
Um, we're looking at outer space exploration. We're looking at deep ocean exploration. Um, we're looking at uh, what are the areas on Earth that have yet to be explored and why. Um, and so the ethical decision-making focus for this upcoming theme is uh, around natural resources of when you discover something, how do you use it, um, and then also uh, space exploration um, and uh, kind of how that's changed over time from the space race of the 50s and 60s to the space race of today that's kind of more corporate and less about governments. Um, so a problem-solving focus, an ethical decision-making focus, and then um, three to four of our themes per year are um, focused around creativity or designer's mindset. So we do a lot of design thinking projects with the kids, but not every theme hits really hard on that. And then each theme also has a collaboration or communication focus. So we kind of have all of these different skills and all of these different outcomes, and we kind of map them on to these interdisciplinary topics to get a really nice spread throughout the year. So we're really excited because this upcoming school year will be our first uh, full year with six themes mapped out. Um, we're really excited about them. You are covering the whole scope, it sounds like. There are a lot of skills that you're, yeah, really targeting here. and. So creativity, of course, ethics. I love the idea of that by being able to, you know, in the future there will be a lot of issues around that for sure. Yeah. And by preparing them early for that is incredible. And so going with the themes as well, what, what sort of themes have you done in the past? Yeah, so um, as I mentioned, themes kind of came about, about halfway through our first pilot year and we were realizing, okay, we need to draw a little bit more of connections. So we did four themes last year. We did um, Cities of the Future, which is one of my favorites. Um, we got to talk a lot about how communities are led and organized. Um, also got to talk a lot about climate and the environment and how cities might change in the future. Kids got to build a lot of really cool model cities. It was really fun. Um, we did Cyber Citizens. So that kind of came from realizing at a virtual program, our kids need to be really savvy users of the internet. They need to be really effective Google searchers. They need to really know how to evaluate things they're seeing online and also need to know how to be healthy users of the internet and balance their, their time um, in a way that works for them and develop healthy habits. So that's kind of what that theme was. We did Hidden Histories, which was all about um, looking at kind of mainstream stories of history, getting to know them, and then kind of peeling layers back to discover um, maybe lesser known stories from history. Um, and they got to do a lot of art with that one. They made uh, museum exhibits, they wrote plays, they made portrait galleries. Um, and then the last theme of the year was Inventor's Studio. So that was our very heavy designers uh, mindset one where they uh, got to uh, research problems um, in their homes or in their communities and design real inventions and prototypes uh, for products that can solve those problems. Oh, do you have an example of that? Oh my gosh, there were so many fun <laughs> ones. They had different kind of interest groups. One of the most popular ones was um, animal gadgets where they were designing products either for local wildlife or for their pets. Um, that was really fun. We had a lot of really cool uh, innovations to uh, feed their pets more efficiently, little like 
um, robotic cat feeders and stuff like oh. that. Um, we had a uh, one kid who made a keyboard fan to kind of cool down his hands as he was oh. typing <laughs> and gaming. That was really fun. Um, we did, uh, there was a human enhancements group that was all about kind of designing things for either people with disabilities or for the human body. And we had, uh, two girls who worked together, um, two sisters, uh, and they built, um, shoes with like, uh, more comfortable, like built in insoles for long walks, all kinds of different cool products. Wow. And, and so in terms of creating those ideas, how do they go about that? Because it, it's quite a lengthy process as well. Yeah. So um, projects, depending on the theme, they kind of take a different uh, approach each time. But in general, what, we, uh, what we've learned works really well is they start with what we call the investigate and create phase. And so that is kind of at the first two weeks of the theme is very exploratory. So we build out a research library um, with different cool articles, videos, podcasts, games, interactive stuff that's related to the theme. And they build out a learning journal where they might respond to resources that they've explored, but they get to pick and choose from the resource library. Um, they also get to choose how they respond in their research journal. Um, so some of them might choose to write, some of them might choose to make little videos about what they learned from a resource. Um, they can even draw diagrams. Uh, so really just engaging different kinds of learners since we more care about them learning a lot and being interested than writing a certain number of paragraphs. Um, and then the create tasks are like mini bite-sized projects that relate to the theme. Um, sometimes they're tutorials. For example, for our Cities of the Future theme, um, since we wanted the kids to be able to make models, uh, we had tutorials in the create phase of how to use Tinkercad, how to use SketchUp, um, how to build a scale model uh, like using cardboard boxes. So things that prepare them for that longer project phase. But then also just exploratory projects. If you're not sure what project you're going to choose, kind of mini versions of each one. And then for the last three weeks of the cycle is when they dive into that longer project. So after they've been exposed a little bit, then they choose, okay, this is the project that's right for me. Um, this year, we're actually launching the option for them to completely design their own project from scratch. Mm -hmm. That matches the theme too. Um, so that'll be exciting to try out. But then when they choose their project, the general way that it works is they start by looking at some really strong examples of whatever they're trying to create and reviewing them. Okay, this is an interesting invention. This is how the designer went through the process. This is how, uh, this is how you can apply it to your own work. And then um, for, for Inventor Studio, uh, we also had kind of a live workshop uh, one to two times per week where kids come together and they share, okay, this is where I'm at so far. They go through a peer feedback mm -hmm. process. Um, they go through a lot of revision and iteration. Um, and they have a learning journal that documents their progress as well. I think for virtual documentation is really important. That's something we drill into the kid's head of if you work on your project, even for a little bit, take a picture, put it in your journal, write a caption. This is what you did today. Um, and Why do you emphasize that though? It, that, that's very interesting. How come you emphasize mm -hmm. that journaling process? Yeah, so I think because 
when it's virtual, you know, if, if I were in, uh, if Prisma were a school building and kids were working on their inventions in a, in a maker space, coaches would be able to float around and say, oh, that looks great. Have you considered using this material? Oh, it looks like, you know, you might need some help with this part of it. And also just the, the feeling of being in a space with other people and having that accountability and that creative inspiration. So we've tried to build out ways for that to happen virtually. And the learning journals are one of the strongest ways of doing this, of the scaffolded space. Okay, document a little bit of what you're working on every day. Also, um, we use Slack for the kids and they will also have prompts of, okay, when you finish this step, post an update to this channel in Slack and then respond to three other people with comments and questions about what they've created. So kind of scaffolding that community part of it. Um, and I think that that helps kids make more progress on their projects than they might if it were just, okay, do this thing, but you're by yourself and there's no one looking at what you're creating. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it also helps with metacognition, which is really important to us too, of, okay, if you're just working on something and you're not really thinking about it, you're not getting the learning that we want out of it. As amazing as all of their end products are, it's not just about, okay, creating this cool invention. It's mostly about what have you learned about what it takes to design something. So there's a lot of reflective prompts in the learning journal. Okay, what was the most difficult part of this step? What was the most surprising part of this step? We ask the kids to reflect on all the feedback they receive. Okay, you just got peer feedback. What was the most helpful piece of feedback? What are three ways you're going to change your work based on the feedback you received? The metacognitive part is just as important as what they're actually making. Right. That seems like, yeah, you're really completing that learning process because there are a lot of um, videos out there about how to learn. And a lot of it is to learn, but then is also to reflect mm -hmm. and to have that self-awareness because this is essentially recreating real life. Like you're going to make projects and you're going to need to be able to reflect over what you've just made. So you know how to improve. And I love the idea of getting the community in on it because the only way that you're going to improve your product or whatever you create is by getting different interpretations. Cause it's that one perspective, your own perspective is quite limiting. And so I, I really love this this um, environment, which also makes it quite fun. And you, you want to continue because now, yeah, like the ac accountability side of it, you've got people looking at you and mm -hmm. asking, what are you creating? <laughs> and you sort of have to have an answer there. So that's, I, I'm just smiling a lot because I really feel like this is just incredible for the students and such a great way to actually learn instead of it being something that's forced upon you. Because right now I hear a lot of, from Prisma, a lot of practical elements of creating your own things. And so with that curriculum too, is it predominantly practical or is there also theoretical behind it as well? So um, to go back to kind of like the kind of pedagogy that kind of inspired Prisma, my research, um, I come from a really constructionist background. So um, Piaget was an education theorist in the, you know, uh, 20th century. He was all about constructivism, which is like, 
okay, and this kind of connects to what I was just saying about reflection of when you, um, when you get new knowledge, when you're learning, it's not like, if I teach you something, I'm not just taking the knowledge from my brain and putting it in yours. You actually have to construct your own version of what I'm sharing in your own head is basically how I would describe, uh, how I would describe constructivism is no matter where you're getting the knowledge from, you have to build it yourself. You have to build your own understanding. And that is really different from behaviorism, which was basically just the teacher stands at the front of the classroom and just pours knowledge into all of the kids empty brains is basically how how that philosophy went so with constructivism piaget um one of his students was seymour papper who was big influence on my thinking and also a ton of other people's thinking um he was one of the uh inspirations behind lego and behind scratch and his whole idea was constructionism so taking constructivism and saying, taking it one step further of not only does knowledge have to be constructed in the learner's heads, but that process goes a lot better if you have to create an external representation of your knowledge, if you have to physically build something or digitally build something that shows your understanding. And that's kind of where project-based learning comes from is, okay, if I kind of verbally explain my understanding of World War II, that might not be as uh, robust a demonstration of my knowledge as if I make a museum exhibit about it. It's kind of just a way to briefly describe the theoretical grounding. So I think we take a constructionist approach in that with every theme, there's always a hands-on project because we want to see that external demonstration of whatever the knowledge is. That said, that's not the only way that kids learn throughout the theme. Um, and we do a lot of, in that investigate and create phase, there's all kinds of um, writing, there's all kinds of reading, there's all kinds of just uh, having a really interesting experience through a game that relates to the theme, um, having an interesting debate. Um, so that's kind of how we, how we strike that balance. Right. And in terms of the things that they're reading um, and writing and all of that, is it the same thing so that they're all following along with the same material? Uh, no, not necessarily. Um, when we build out that kind of resource library, um, we are looking for, like, for example, for Uncharted Territory, our very first theme, you know, we kind of have those big questions of, is there life on other planets? Is there, uh, like, what is at the bottom of the ocean and what is left to be explored on Earth? So our resource library is kind of organized in those three categories but kids can choose whatever they want to explore from that resource library. Um, and so when we're looking for everyone to get the same outcomes, we basically either put it in our workshops, which all of the kids are attending. So for example, um, the problem solving workshop for that uh, first theme is um, they're gonna pretend that they are scientists who have to decide uh, whether to rehome marine animals in one ecosystem or another ecosystem and so that means all of the kids are going to be attending that workshop they're all going to learn kind of the basic science content of ecosystems and adaptations 
Um, and so we know that all of the kids are going to cover that, but when they're deciding how to do their research, they can kind of make choices about what they want to learn. And everyone is going to be doing nonfiction text analysis. Everyone is going to be analyzing the author's arguments. So we don't mind what resources they choose. Right. As long as they are doing something, I guess. Yeah. Right. And the traditional schools, you get a lot of, you know, teachers, what you were saying, like teachers literally filling something into a kid's head, which <laughs> as we all know from experience, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> it's not, you know, effective or sustainable. And what they do is it's always segregated. So you have maths class, you have English class, you have whatever class. And um, there's just a base curriculum that you learn these uh, isolated, quite isolated subjects. Does it ever become like that in Prisma where you're focusing specifically on, say, maths and you're covering algebra, for example? Or is it more, uh, is it different from that? Yeah, so it does. So one thing that we have is, you know, I've talked a lot about the projects and the themes. There's two other aspects to our curriculum. One of them is missions. So um, these are actually new for this upcoming year as well. They're kind of an iteration on how we approached math and writing last year. But since we have a Prisma, I haven't mentioned this yet, but our kids are in grades four through eight. Um, and so that's quite a wide age range developmentally and skill wise. And for our projects and for our workshops, we do differentiate for different abilities of kids, but we have mixed age groupings and there will sometimes be a fourth grader and a seventh grader in the same workshop. Um, and we love that. But we, for some subjects, like for math, which is just quite linear, that's just really the way you have to learn it. And then for writing, where we have kids who are still learning how to do the act of writing a sentence and some other kids who are really ready to write high school level academic papers, um, we were finding that differentiation needed to be much stronger. Um, and so what missions are, are basically like you described, they're more divided by subject. So you might have a math mission or a writing mission and they're also leveled. So instead of saying, okay, it's a fourth grade math mission or a fifth grade math mission, we say, okay, this is level one, this is level two. Mm -hmm. And so kids can move through whatever they're ready for. We don't say, okay, you're in fifth grade, so you have to do this level. It's more what they're capable of accomplishing. And those are done during the kids' independent time. Um, most kids will do them in the morning as kind of a learning routine before they have their workshops, before they work on their projects. Um, and the way the missions work is, for an example, for math, um, they're very much based on a concrete skill. So it might be, okay, this is the level one foundational operations mission. And it'll say, here's a real world example of how you might have to use this math skill. Here's a really challenging problem that uh, has lots of different parts. Sometimes it doesn't even have one right answer, um, but you have to use these math skills to answer it. So that gets the kids thinking, okay, this is why this is important. And here's a really challenging problem that I can't just solve on the first try or by punching it into Google. 
And then it says, okay, here are three clues for how you might be able to solve this problem. And the clues lead them through some practice math problems, some examples, some adaptive app-based practice. They might go to Khan Academy or Beast Academy or another app, a third-party program to practice some of those skills. And then they come back at the end of the mission. It says, okay, now what is your claim for how to answer this math problem? They have to submit a claim with some evidence that kind of shows that they have mastered those math skills. And then if they kind of earn that mission, they can move on to the next one, to the next level, and they can move through it at their own pace. Um, and we do have live math workshops, and those are by um, ability group much more tightly than we do our normal workshops. Um, but those aren't really the math coach saying, okay, everyone, today we're going to cover chapter four, you know, it's more like, okay, where is everyone at in their missions? Does anyone have any questions? Is anyone stuck? Or saying, okay, here's a really fun math challenge that's kind of connected to the missions people are working on right now. Let's get in small groups and try it together. Right. So that's, that's kind of our approach to those academics that aren't so interdisciplinary. Um, and we do the same thing with writing as well, where kids are in small groups of kids who are at their same writing level and they're working through writing missions where they get to choose what they want to write about, but practice in different mediums from argumentative writing to research-based writing to right. narrative writing. So in those missions, because um, I'm trying to make it more concrete in my head as mm -hmm. well, is it that they're um, learning off, say, information? So let's use maths if they're doing mission one and does it have all the information there so that they can or like tutorials or whatever online so that they can just watch it pause it try and attempt the problem rewatch is that sort of what you're aiming to do yeah yeah so the goal is that it can be accomplished totally independently they don't need like live support from a coach unless they're really stuck and they're really not getting what we're presenting but yeah we have videos we have live practice we have um games lots of things that we kind of find online and build into that experience for them i love that idea because this is very similar you you mentioned khan academy just before it reminds me so much of Sal Khan's uh, idea of mastery learning and and working from those foundations. You know, you're not caught up in a year level and then once that year level's yeah. done, you have to move on. You have no idea what, you know, fractions are, so then you stumble over algebra, all of that. So it's great to see that they can work at their own pace um, and have that support because you did mention that they have coaches to support them if mm -hmm. they are stuck it's not like they're just you know stuck in one place and they can't continue um is there also peer-to-peer -peer support as well in case um say a student's stuck do they get support from say another student who's doing the same thing yeah definitely so that's another big part of our kind of math workshops it's time to be in small groups um and help each other out they're with other kids in their same math level but we also have kind of open kind of office hours style support where kids who are at a higher level might be able to have help kids who are at a lower level um and then i mentioned that we use slack we have a math channel too where kids can say i'm stuck here can someone help me too which is yeah. really important yeah it seems like 
an awesome jungle gym. It's like some like random, just it's so much happening within Prisma and that's incredible to, to see and hear about. I have a feeling listeners are probably just going, there are so many things going on. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I can't conceptualize all of this because there is a lot. So maybe if we were to scale it down even further and talk about, say, a typical day of the Prisma student, just so there's, I guess, more structure within it. So what would the yeah. typical day look like? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the day starts with a 30-minute stand-up. And so this is a live session. A lot of people who are listening might be familiar with stand-ups as kind of a tech company uh, practice or routine. This is similar where um, kids are with the same small group of other kids every day. We do our stand-ups by time zone um, so that they're in the morning for everybody. So you might be with other kids who are in Eastern time for half an hour and there's a coach there as well. And during stand-up, the kids get to know each other really well. Um, they might do a lot of icebreakers and fun games. They might do some social emotional learning activities. Like uh, last year we had a whole session where for a couple weeks, the kids were working on building active listening skills and stand up. Um, and then the other piece of stand up is uh, that accountability, which we've already talked about already of what progress did you make on your goals yesterday? What are you trying to accomplish today? Um, let's get everyone organized for the week. Uh, those things that are just so important in a virtual environment where you're expecting kids to be able to work independently. And then after that, they have some independent work time. Um, and a lot of kids will do their missions first. So they'll do math missions or writing missions, or they'll read a book for their reading mission. Um, just kind of that independent academic time right. for about an hour to an hour and a half. Um, then they might have their math workshop if it's their day of the week to have it. Um, and then after that, they have their one hour long kind of Prisma workshop. And those are the workshops that connect to the theme where we're really doing those debates and discussions. Uh, we're working on uh, sharing project progress and giving feedback. We're doing really cool games and simulations, um, just whatever we're doing for the theme to develop those problem solving and ethical decision making skills. So for those workshop groups, they're um, not necessarily with the same kids who are in their stand-up because it's more based uh, on their ability level rather than their time zone. Um, but the workshops are really fun. They're um, definitely built for high engagement. Uh, it's never just the coach kind of delivering a lecture. Um, and we also have our Prisma Live video product. We're not doing all of our workshops on it yet, but it's kind of a Zoom replacement that is a little more interactive and kid-friendly and much easier on the facilitation end for the coaches. Um, so what has a workshop looked like in the past, just as an example? Yeah, so you mentioned wanting to know kind of about uh, a Socratic discussions. Um, one thing that we might do with those, sometimes it's a one-off debate that connects to the theme. So for example, for Cities of the Future, um, one debate they had was around hostile architecture. Is it okay to design benches where homeless people can't sleep on them? Uh, was one example of a debate that they might have. And they have to explore 
sources on both sides of the debate, and uh, we help the kids learn how to organize their evidence, how to express their opinions verbally, how to disagree respectfully, all of that kind of stuff. Um, so a debate or a discussion is one example um, of what a workshop might look like, and sometimes they're story-based. So again, for Cities of the Future, uh, one story-based workshop that we had was um, there was a uh, town in Wisconsin, a fictional town that we made up that was uh, seeing a lot of strange things with their residents um, in terms of weird health outcomes, um, just kind of a mystery. And so the coach dressed up as kind of the governor and asked the kids to become a task force that could solve the mystery. And to solve the mystery, the kids had to get in small groups and explore clues. And the clues were all different kinds of documents from email records to charts and statistics to fake social media posts from the residents. And they had to make a case based on evidence for what they thought was going on. And then as the weeks went on, they had to do more things with the evidence they found. They had to uh, adjust the town budget to make it balanced and try to solve the issue. Um, they had to design things to go in an empty lot, just basically create things to solve the problem week to week. And the kids got really engaged in the story. And then the very last week of the story-based workshop, it was revealed that the town was based on a real town of Flint, Michigan, um, and based on a real crisis they had had with lead in their water. Um, and so the kids were then realizing, oh, this thing that we were so engaged in is a real problem. And this is what the real adults involved did to solve it or not solve it. And let's measure it up against what our team or our task force did. So that's one example of one thing that we might do in a workshop too. Um, and then sometimes we might do really hands-on activities uh, like STEM challenges for Inventor Studio. We had a series of workshops where we looked at, okay, this is a famous inventor, um, say the inventor of the suspension bridge. And then let's all try to make a bridge using materials that we have in our own houses and learn a little bit about the physics of suspension bridges. Um, and so they were using real materials that they've found and getting to do something hands-on, but still work in teams to critique each other's creations. So debates, story-based challenges, hands-on challenges, those are a few of the really common workshop types we might do. That sounds like the dream. This is incredible. Really no fun. wonder the students are so engaged because they can actually, oh, especially with clues and, you know, discovery and uh, all of those you know, sort of like escape room type activities. They're really popular because it, it well, it's, um, it's helping with skills like analytical thinking, with critical thinking, all of these so-called soft skills, but really life skills. Mm -hmm that you don't get from rote memorization that you don't get from just ingesting a textbook and it's, yeah it's incredible to see that uh and so in terms of that um i guess the workshops you're following along as a group as a cohort when does it really well maybe i should rephrase that because sometimes the students are doing different things and mm -hmm. it's personalized to them 
how is that managed? Because yes, everyone is literally doing so many different things on the logistics side. Is that hard to get around? It can be a challenge for sure. Um, that's always a tension that we're navigating is how do we allow for as much choice as possible while also making sure kids have someone to talk to who really knows exactly where they're at and is on the same page as them. Um, but if you design the right activities and you design the right reflection questions and feedback processes, we've found that it works pretty well. Um, in a workshop, say we might have, and Prisma Live is really helpful with this, with the way our breakout rooms work too. Um, but we can say, okay, choose a breakout room based on where you're at in your project and what you need right now of do you just need quiet time to work? Do you need feedback on a specific part from a peer? Are you stuck and you need to talk to a coach? Um, or sometimes we might say, okay, everyone who's working on the science fiction project, go to this room. Everyone who's working on the ecosystem design project, go to this room. Everyone who's doing the environmental stewardship project, go to this room. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of, and then when you get to that room, there'll be a reflection question that's specific to your project that you're supposed to all talk about. Um, so that's one example. And then I also think our coaches are really great at um, having, you know, in their one-on-ones with kids talking about what is specific to just them um, and being really flexible and personalized in that way. Um, but yeah. I think reflection questions are a big one of can can we design great reflective activities that apply to everybody. Mm -hmm. And do these students say if they're just not feeling it, say if little Cody has just done done mm -hmm. with uh, say I'll, I'll pick on maths, done with maths for the day and but there's a maths mission to do. Or there's something that, you know, in that moment, there's an hour dedicated to whatever he doesn't want to do. So is there the option then to, you know, choose something else? Yeah, I mean, I think we try to give as much flexibility to our coaches and to our families as possible. And I think that's where, you know, at the very beginning of the conversation, we were talking about the difference between companies that are really focusing on homeschoolers and us. And I think one way in which we still want to be more homeschooly is kind of what you're describing right now. If, and it depends on how the parents and uh, feel and as well as the, you know, the coaches really get to know the kids as well and will know, okay, are you just having an off day? Or is this a pattern where we really need to talk about where you're at with your motivation and um, your kind of discipline, which is also an important life skill, uh, being able to follow through on projects and follow through on your commitments. Um, but we are never ones to say, okay, you know, I'm sorry that you're having a bad day, but you need to do this math mission right now. Like that's not the way we approach things. Uh, not great for a kid's love of learning. It's kind of a short-term fix. You know, you might be able to say, okay, if you sit down and do this, you know, you can watch YouTube for two hours, but you're not accomplishing very much when you kind of have those little little carrots instead of um, instead of really building that uh, intrinsic motivation. And so I think we would rather err on the side of 
it's okay. Let's try again tomorrow. Like we set this deadline to help you reach your goals, but just kind of like you would in a job of if you miss a deadline once in a while, is that the end of the world? No, probably not. And so we try to have that flexibility to show the kids that we really trust them, um, that we value their autonomy and that we believe that they can do it the next time that they try. So um, we have a lot of flexibility. We, ha- we also have families who have been homeschooling for a long time. And so maybe they have their own writing curriculum that they really love. And so they only want to participate halfway in our writing missions. That's fine with us. We really value kind of the family's autonomy in that respect more than a traditional school would. Yeah. And, and you did mention that idea of autonomy and choice earlier in the conversation where, where students literally can choose whether or not to do something. And that is important. So, so important, as you were saying, with the intrinsic motivation versus extrinsic. Oh, my Lord. In classrooms, I have seen the if you don't do this, then you don't get lunch. If you don't do this, then you get a detention. If you, And all that is really doing is associating the learning as something that they have to do. And, yeah, and as we all know, that is the most toxic relationship that you can have with something is to associate that as something that you completely just dislike because you're forced and tied down to it. And thank God, <laughs> knowing that Prisma is the complete opposite, letting them choose um, what they want. Uh, in terms of choice as well, are there other things that you offer for the students to, to choose? Yeah, um, I didn't mention this yet. And I love, I just want to say, I love the way you put that of like it being a toxic relationship. I think that's so true because yeah, if you view, if you see, okay, every time I do something, every time I learn something, I get a reward for it. Then you think, okay, then why would I ever do it for its own sake? It must be bad if there's rewards associated with it. Um, So I think that that is probably a really toxic pattern to get into. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, as far as other choices, um, so we have missions, which are kind of more structured, more leveled. We have projects, um, which are a little bit less structured, a little bit less leveled. Um, And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have what we call journeys, which are totally optional and totally self-directed learning experiences. So these came from just seeing that a lot of homeschoolers and a lot of kids in general just have things that they want to work on really deeply because they're really passionate about them and they want to just write a novel or they want to get really great at baking or they want to learn everything there is to learn about rockets. And so we want to have a space in our curriculum and in our program for kids to do that. Um, but we don't force it at all. It's only when kids are interested in embarking on a self-directed learning journey. And basically what all we provide them in those is, um, a kind of template for a learning journal to document their progress on it. Um, whether it's, uh, taking photos of their creations in progress or linking their most updated novel drafts, um, and providing them with some reflection questions when they need it. Um, and then, uh, once a month we have meetings where other kids who are also doing, doing journeys can come together. They can just kind of share where they're at, um, and have a little bit of that accountability of, okay, what do you want to do on your journey in the next month? 
Uh, so that's our most self-directed experience where kids can do whatever they want. It's incredible. Again, I keep saying incredible, but I genuinely believe it because there is so much great stuff coming from Prisma. Um, and I, I'm sure that there are so many ideas right now, but there are going to be so many future ideas too and future goals of Prisma too because you're achieving a lot, but I imagine that you're, you and your team are always thinking of, you know, what's next? How can we improve it? Definitely. And so, yeah, what are your next steps with Prisma? Well, yeah, it's, it's always it's always a hard choice, right? Uh, we want to continue fleshing out what we have and making it amazing and making the options for kids infinite. Um, but then we also have a lot of really cool things that we're hoping to explore. Um, not sure yet exact, we're kind of in the prior, prioritization stage of these right now, but a few different things we're looking at is having more uh, clarity between the types of ways you can do Prisma where um, for families who are looking for this to be a full-time online school, that is all they do and they don't wanna be, the parent doesn't wanna be involved at all, kind of at one end. And then also what are ways you can experience Prisma more as a typical like homeschooling program where maybe you attend only two workshops a week for Prisma and you do projects only when you want to do them, but your parents have your core academics covered um, kind of more of a self-service model is something that we're exploring is to get a little clearer about that. Um, and hopefully then we could make the Prisma curriculum accessible to more people, maybe who wouldn't sign up for the full program, but would want to go to one workshop a week or do mm -hmm. some of our projects. So that's one thing we're looking at. Um, we're looking at building, uh, I mentioned we built Prisma Live. We're also looking at building uh, more software to kind of help with our projects. Um, Cause right now we're kind of cobbling together different third party tools, which has worked really well so far. Um, but we know we could accomplish even more if we had kind of our own project-based learning software. Um, and then we're also looking at uh, expanding more internationally. Time zones has been a big challenge just logistically as we've been growing, but we've seen quite a lot of interest in time zones we haven't been able to serve yet, like in Europe, Asia, Australia. Um, and so we would love to be able to expand there. Um, so that's something we're talking about as well. Um, and then also expanding in terms of the age groups that we serve, we're interested in that too. Well, that's true. Cause right now, is it from nine to 14 years old? Uh, yeah, fourth, fourth through eighth grade, which is about eight to 14. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a lot of lofty goals and I love it <laughs> because yeah, if anything, Prisma, yeah, oh yeah, I, the more people that you can reach, the better for sure. Um, and I, I realized before that I had cut you off with the day of a typical day. Oh, we, yeah. We um, ended with the, I think it was the workshop. Mm -hmm. Does anything happen after the workshop? Yeah, so, and that said, kids structure their days in different ways, but typically, I mentioned, you know, there was some independent time where kids might be working on their missions, um, but then the other independent time is uh, their work on their projects um, or their journeys, and um, so that, there's that independent time, 
The other thing they might have is a one-on-one -on -one with their coach. Each kid gets a weekly one-on-one -on -one with their mentor coach to kind of go over their feedback, get to know each other really well. And then the other thing that we have is social clubs, and those are very much learner-led, learner-driven with some support from our awesome coaches, but we don't come up with what the clubs are. The kids will propose them, and if they have enough interest, they'll launch it, and then they meet once a week, sometimes multiple times a week to just kind of do whatever it is. Last year we had an art club, we had a gaming club, um, we had an entrepreneurship club. Um, so just those opportunities for kids to get together more socially in an unstructured way. Right. And before we wrap up, the last, last question. Um, in your opinion, what do you think the, an important quality or skill that you wish more students developed in school, Ooh. what would that be? And I, I, you can choose a few or just mm -hmm. one that pops into your head. I mean, I think that research skills are really important um, and not just kind of the academic research, which is definitely important, but also just the kind of research that all of us have to do as adults every day um, on the internet, just being able to navigate the insane amounts of information that we're surrounded with every day and, um, being able to find the information you need, being able to vet that information and being able to organize it and then use it later. I think that's a superpower if you're able to do that. Um, and then another thing that definitely comes to mind is, initiative and follow through. So not just being able to have really great ideas and being really creative, but figuring out how to take action on your ideas and execute them and finish them if they're worth finishing. Um, I think that we talk a lot about developing creativity and innovation, and there's so many great educational spaces out there for that. But I think a lot of them tend to be lacking in that like project management skill. Mm -hmm. And traditional schools don't really teach that either because they give yeah. you all of the steps of a project. So that's another thing I'd say. Yeah, it, it's incredible to see that Prisma isn't, you know, spoon feeding is and also teaching the essential skills. So thank you. Thank you for existing. <laughs> thank, thank you. And Victoria, who, you know, has done you know, so much to create this platform. So thank you to all of you and thank you for jumping on, Emily. Yeah, it was so much fun getting to chat with you. Um, it was a really great conversation. Thank you.